This week's episode is brought to you by Earth Mama Organics. They've put together some products specifically for women who have had loss. The Healing Hearts line was created to help comfort the specific physical postpartum needs of baby loss, as well as the aching hearts of grieving mamas. I mean, he didn't understand what was happening either, but he knows like if a midwife tells you to run, you run. And so he's running to get the car. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everybody, it's Laura from Mother Birth, and today I'm really kind of excited to have the opportunity to talk just me and Melissa, and we wanted to take a chance to say thank you. Um, thank you for making space this month for talking with women who have lost stories and letting them tell the stories of their children and what that process was like for them. And we thought a good way to end the month would be to talk about Melissa's story of loss. Many of you might not know, but Melissa lost a son and today we'll be dedicated to hearing her tell that part of her story. Hey, Melissa. Hello. Obviously, uh, people know a bit about you, but we could maybe talk a little bit about how many kids you have and then really start talking about what it was like for you and meeting your son. Okay. So the whole like how many kids do you have question is I I feel like it's that really loaded question when you are a lost mama and you know, it kind of depends who is asking the question, what the answer is. It's like, if we're at the grocery store, I have two kids. Um, But in the context of this episode and what we're talking about, I have five children um, and I have had two miscarriages, first trimester miscarriages, and then I had a full-term stillbirth at almost 42 weeks. Um, That was four years ago this summer. So it's been a few years and we've had um, our we've had our daughter since who's now eight months old so it's kind of been a crazy crazy ride since then um, so we have two kids that you know that are that are with us that we get to love every day um, in our you know in our home and in our lives and then we have these these other ones and I feel like you know my story which we'll which we'll get into is, I had had a miscarriage before my my oldest son Aiden who's 8 years old now and at that time it just felt like one of those like token things that happen and I was sad about it but it never it didn't really slow me down it didn't really change anything for me I didn't really think much of it I definitely didn't think like oh this is my story or I'm not going to be able to have kids or you know getting pregnant and staying pregnant is going to be hard for me or I didn't really think any of those things and and that was Mm -hmm. certainly just based on naivety like I didn't I didn't really know any different but but in some ways I think it was also just based on the reality that like yeah a lot of women have miscarriages and that was my miscarriage you know um Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like my later losses that that allowed me to absorb that loss as well into my greater story and to actually go back and grieve it in a different way than I really allowed myself to do at that time. Mm-hmm. I think that that is, can be common. I've heard people say that before, like, oh, this happened, so this is my one. And I've heard people say that, and yeah. I think that that can obviously, you know, be a way that people process grief or, you know, kind of how they move forward in those moments. But like you said, 
then what happens, you know, when that's not your one? Right. How, how then do you kind of apply that same logic? And I want you to talk a little bit kind of what it was like um, in your pregnancy with Rowan. And maybe if you want to share just a little bit about Aiden and how old he was. Yeah. So Aiden was, you know, just a little over three when I got pregnant with Rowan. And I... But with with each of my pregnancies, had gotten pregnant in you know one try. Like you know, we we decided to pull the bully, and it was like two you know two weeks later, <laughs> you know, but a bing, but a boom, I was pregnant. And so I had also gotten pregnant with Aiden right after my first miscarriage, like truly right after. I remember my doctor at that time saying like, "Oh, you'll just super ovulate." That's the term she used. You know, you'll just super ovulate right after, you know, right after this you know, miscarriage is kind of fully complete and you should, you know, have no, you should have no concerns about trying immediately. And so we did, and I got pregnant immediately like that very next cycle. And so when I was pregnant with Rowan, even though I'd had that first miscarriage, I mean, I just, I'd had like a healthy, normal pregnancy with Aiden. I definitely had a long and really challenging labor with him, but I still just had this general sense of like pregnancy is not that big of a deal. Like babies come, you know, pretty easily. Like um, I, I, I was not anxious. I wasn't, um, you know, concerned about the outcome or anything like that. And it was actually in, in retrospect, probably my most peaceful pregnancy in the sense that, you know, when I was pregnant with Aiden, it was my first full pregnancy and, and it was kind of, you know, you just have all those first time mom things. And, and I, I wouldn't describe myself as super anxious during that pregnancy, but I definitely had, you know, lots of things that I wasn't sure about or that I second guessed or that I felt, you know, like I really was putting my confidence in, in others and other rather than in myself. And, and when I was pregnant with Rowan, I, I just kind of, I took a lot more initiative and a lot more, I don't want to use the word control, but I just was a lot more in the driver's seat overall. Um, and part of that was because I had felt really kind of uncertain about a lot of things when I was pregnant with Aiden. So I felt like this is, this is my chance now, you know, now I've, I've had a pregnancy. I've had, you know, I've given birth, I've had a baby, I've, you know, been raising a son for a few years. Like I, I know a lot more now and I can kind of have a do-over in a sense. And I definitely wanted a do-over with my birth. Oh my goodness. Like I was so determined that my birth with Rome was going to look nothing like my birth with Aiden. Um, and, and that's a, <laughs> that's a topic for another day, but you know, so I spent my pregnancy with Rowan. I was very, very, you know, centered and focused and calm in, in so many ways. Like I was, I felt so connected to him. I felt so, so connected to my caregiver. Um, I had this incredible, incredible midwife down in, um, Oakland in the Bay area. And we were planning a birth center birth with her. And it was just this incredible facility. She was to this day, the most incredible caregiver that I've ever ever experienced the care of. Um, she was just so intuitive, so gentle, so present, and so um, just like, I, I kind of want to use the word loving, like not in a, like, not in a inappropriate way. She just had this, this ability to make you feel like you were, you were taken care of. And 
so I just had, I, I feel like I had a fantastic pregnancy and, you know, yeah. I was, it was during this year where I had taken time to, you know, I wasn't working. I was just home. So I was kind of writing. I was, you know, putzing around the house. I was basically just getting ready to have a baby. And we had some other stuff going on that were, that were actually stressors in my life, including some challenges we were having with my son Aiden at the time. Um, that were actually really, really difficult for me. But somehow I I was able to compartmentalize my pregnancy and my experience of being pregnant with Rowan from those other things going on in my life. And and interestingly, I one of the things that I was actually most concerned about during that pregnancy was that I was already feeling such a strong connection to Rowan that especially at that time, I was not feeling so much with Aiden that I was really worried that when Rowan was born, that I would be, you know, so, you know, so enamored with him and that it would be something that Aiden would really sense like, wait a second, you know, mom has this different relationship with, with my brother than she does with me. And so I was like, you know, really, really concerned about what that transition would look like and how I would sort of mitigate that. And, you know, there was just, there was kind of a lot going on in that part of the relationship. But, but even so, I just, you know, I remember, I remember there'd be days where it was like, we would just, I would just be on edge all day with Aiden. And then I would stop and like center myself and think about Rowan and just sort of like be with him. And, you know, in, it was like this very, very, it was like meditative, you know, it would kind of just, just kind of make the rest of it go away. Yeah. And I would say too, being your friend through that season of time, um, Chase and Melissa had decided to move uh, to California. So they were living in Portland and Melissa had quit her job and was like, she said, staying home. And I would say like, as your friend, I felt very similarly, like as if this was the first time I'd seen you in maybe five years relax right? and take time for yourself. And it was exciting. I mean, I feel like you felt very called to wanting to be at home and for both Aiden and, you know, then with Rowan. And you guys made a lot of space in your life for that, like in a way yeah. that you hadn't before. Yeah. And I felt like that was showing up even in even in certain physical things, like when I was pregnant with Aiden, I had a lot of swelling towards the end of my pregnancy. And I, I remember my doctor, I didn't have preeclampsia, but I remember her every time, like, you know, being concerned that I was like on the border of that. And, and my pregnancy with Rowan was just like, you know, my blood pressure was great. I had zero swelling. I was, you know, I mean, of course you're uncomfortable at the end of pregnancy, but in comparison to how I was at the end of my pregnancy with Aiden, I was just, I was so comfortable. And, and so, content, you know, to be pregnant. Yeah. It was a, a very different experience. So in this season of kind of at home and peace and planning for this great birth center birth with a midwife that you loved, how are you feeling kind of moving towards the end of your pregnancy and going past 40 weeks again? Well, I felt really comfortable doing that. Like obviously up to a certain point, it was something that you know, I was discussing with my midwife. You know, we certainly had some you know, some backup plans in place. And I just didn't really think it would get to that point. I I really, truly didn't. And I had gone late with Aiden. I was five days late with him. And by the time he was born, I was like (laughs) eight days late with him. Um, But, 
you know, so I felt like that's normal for me. I go late, you know, so when we passed the 40 week mark, I was not concerned at all. Definitely as we got closer to the 41 week, I was, I was, I was definitely getting antsy to make it happen. And I was definitely doing everything in the book to make it happen. Um, but it was, he was just like, he was happy as can be. And, you know, of course I was having very regular checkups with my midwife at that point and there was not any reason to be concerned like he was he was doing great I was doing great we made plans for an induction at 42 weeks um and it was the day it was two days shy of 42 weeks and my mom had just gotten to town and and my mom lives in northern Canada and she has had 10 kids of her own and she has actually been at all of my births um but every single time it's like, is it going to work out for her to be here? Because, you know, if I were to spontaneously go into labor and especially if I were to go early for some reason, you know, it would just be very difficult to make that happen. But, you know, that in this particular case, we reached a point where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be induced in a few days anyways. Like, we're not going to waste your time by getting you down here. Let's just have you come. So she had gotten in the night before she went with me to my midwife appointment um, that morning that was, 41 weeks and five days. And I still, you know, I wasn't really having contractions. Um, you know, I'd been having Braxton Hicks. I was certainly like, you know, feel, uh, you know, I had that feeling that, that you have as a mom where you're like, I'm sure he's close. I'm sure it's going to happen soon, but there weren't any really strong physical signs that it, that it was imminent. And so my midwife checked me that morning. Everything was like, you know, everything was great. Heart rate was great. Um, she checked me and she asked if, if, you know, if we're, if we're going to be inducing in a couple of days and we obviously don't want to do that. If you want to, you know, stick with our plan of this out of hospital birth, you know, why don't I sweep your membranes? And, you know, I tried, I had tried pretty much everything up to that point that you can do at home with the exception of castor oil, which I just was like, I'm just so not, so not wanting to do that. And so I was like, yes, sweep my membranes. So, and you know, I was definitely, my, my, my cervix was favorable. I was, I don't remember how effaced I was, but I was, you know, like she was like, if I sweep your membranes, like this is, I think you'll be, I think you'll have the baby like today or tomorrow. And so I was, you know, we went for it. She swept my membranes. Uh, my mom and I left the birth center, went back home. The very interesting and serendipitous part of that day was that um, Laura <laughs> was actually in the Bay Area visiting just totally randomly. And so we mm-hmm. met up for like an early, what, what was it, early lunch? Yeah. Yeah. So we met up for an early lunch. At that point, I was definitely already having contractions. So this mm-hmm. is like maybe two and a half hours after my midwife swept my membranes that morning. Where, but it was, but I was still totally comfortable. So I'm sitting through lunch. I'm having contractions. I'm like, okay, you know, I I think this is it. Like this is this is not just, you know, they're they're not super intermittent. They're definitely you know picking up in in frequency and, and intensity. Um, and so you know we were we were out walking. You know we we had lunch. Obviously, Laura. You know we're kind of talking about how I'm feeling and and what's what's going on in my body and you know, she's encouraging me. And I, I remember like, we've both written about this since, but you know, like I just wanted her to stay. And I know you were like wanting wanting to stay, stay, but yeah, but you guys had plans. So you Mm -hmm. were headed off somewhere. Um, to the beach, which seems silly now. Yeah. in another life or world like that just would never, 
And we, I mean, we were close friends at the time, but it just, you know, it wasn't like you weren't going to be at my birth. So that wasn't something that we were, we were even considering, you know? Yeah. Seems crazy now. It seems so crazy now. (laughs) Um, So, so we like, you know, we part ways, my mom and Chase and I, you know, walk back to the house. We're definitely, you know, it's pretty evident that this is ramping up. It's happening. We go get Aiden from preschool mid-afternoon, bring him home. And, you know, he's home for maybe an hour and a half before I'm like, okay, it's time for him to go to my other, his other grandparents' house where he's going to, you know, spend spend the night while I'm in labor. And so we called Chase's parents to come and get him. They came and got him around five. By that time, I was like, you know, pretty in the zone. I wouldn't say I was out of, you know, it was not like, it wasn't like I couldn't talk or I couldn't breathe or anything like that, but I was, I definitely needed to focus. I definitely needed to just be, you know, fully in the experience. And I think especially with everything going on with Aiden at the time, like I had always loved the idea of having him, you know, at my birth, but I, I just knew this is not, yeah, this is not going to be the right, the right thing. And so I was also like, if he's not going to be here, he may as well leave at, at an advantageous time that he can, you know, have dinner and go to bed and do all of that. So they came and got him. And that's when, you know, as the evening progressed, things just kind of got more and more intense. And I think it was, it already felt so different than my labor with Aiden, which I was very excited about. And I, and of course I had nothing to measure that by other than just how it felt in my body. But I felt like, you know, like I understood what was happening. I felt like my body was progressing. I felt like I had a really good sense of when to decide to go to the birth center. Those were all things that I really struggled with when I was in labor with Aiden, you know, and it ended, ended up being such a long, long labor with so many points of, sort of uncertainty and doubting my intuition and doubting, you know, the the options being presented to me and all of that. And I felt so different in labor with Rowan. I felt like I, I felt like I knew what I was doing. Like mm-hmm. I felt like it was just like it was happening. And that was something I wanted so badly. I wanted so badly for this birth experience to be different than Aiden's. And of course I wanted it to be shorter, <laughs> but more than shorter, I just wanted to not feel like I was so out of control and so out of like out of my like didn't didn't feel like myself you know Mm -hmm. and so labor with Rowan even though it was definitely getting intense it just felt like I know what I'm doing like this is this is working like I know how to work with my body and I remember my mom before I'd ever had any babies you know she talked to me about This idea, which is, you know, something now that I've read and studied and, you know, talked about with so many women, but it was it was new to me before I'd had Aiden. This idea that like when, you know, when the pain comes, when the contraction comes, like open yourself to it, like don't fight it, you know, just let your body like understand that the pain is doing something and let it move through you and don't, you know, don't clench up and don't fight it. And I remember really like trusting that advice, but just not knowing how to implement it when I was in labor with Aiden. 
And I felt like I was doing that with Rowan. I felt like with each contraction, I like I knew how to open my body. I knew how to let it pass through me. I knew how to let it do its work and, and not perfectly or anything like that, but just that I had so much more of a connection to what that meant and like how how I would actually physically, uh, you know, accommodate it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we get to a point where, you know, I'm like, my gauge is always like, at what point will I not be able to handle being in the car? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I I mean, I already can't handle being in the car. I don't know how I'm going to do this. So it's time to go. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hopefully pretty far along. Like, I didn't necessarily feel like I was in transition, but I definitely felt like I had been in active labor mm-hmm. and that, you know, let's hope I'm like a somewhere somewhere between five and seven, you know? Yeah. We, so we get in the car, the birth center is like about a 10 minute drive away. It's about 1130 at night. So there's no traffic. It's just, it's just quiet and dark. And, you know, Chase is driving as fast as, as he can (laughs) under the circumstances. Um, we're, we listen to music in the car, the same music that we were, that we were listening to at home. And, and, you know, in all my labors, Chase has put together these playlists that, have been have been really really helpful to me and we had been mostly listening to like trance music at home like like electronic you know kind of kind of like you know dance hall vibe stuff and I I loved it like it was just very it it was energizing in the right way like it kind of just kept me focused and kept me moving forward and and like just believing that my body was you know like had the energy it needed to do this and that you know that I would be able to sustain (laughs) you know what was happening to the end Mm -hmm. um which I think was something that I always you know feared after my labor with Aiden where exhaustion was such a huge factor you know after being in labor for days and days um so we get to the birth center right around midnight and I remember it was just totally I was just totally at that point where you know contractions are they weren't right on top of each other, but they were pretty intense. And, you know, I, I would have to like fully stop and, and, you know, the, the room that we would give birth in was actually up on the third story of the birth center. And so we had to go up these three flights of stairs and (laughs) I don't remember how long that took, but it felt like forever because I would only be able to go a few stairs and then I would have to stop and, you know, lean on chase for a contraction. And, you know, it just felt like, (laughs) the room felt so far away it felt impossible to get to and Mm. you know our midwife is right there on the stairs with us and my mom is you know carrying our bags and whatever else and we finally get up to the room and the room is like this of course gorgeous you know homey peaceful birth center room it was one of the rooms that I had had many of my prenatal checkups in so it was familiar to me you know I know where everything is I know like what you know elements of it I think I'm going to use there's a you know big tub in the corner and so we get into the room and there's um these these wingback chairs that as soon as we get in the room I am instantly having a contraction I have to lean on the back of this chair and and just like you know, just be there. And so I remember my midwife actually brought the Doppler over to me. So while I was standing there, she, you know, listened for Rowan and she didn't hear him, which meant nothing to me at the time. It didn't really mean anything to her either because it's like, you know, you just got here, you're having a contraction, like, 
you know, you're, you're in, in a weird this position. Particular, yeah. You're in a weird position. Like, you know, this is not like the most advantageous place to do this anyways. So like, let's wait till you're done the contraction. Then we'll move you over to the bed and we can, you know, have, we can do a proper check. And so I'm not even, like, I'm not even aware that those are obviously all the like, you know, steps she's going through in her head. I'm just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we move over to the bed. You know, my mom is like putting bags in the corner and, you know, Chase is just kind of following me like a puppy so that I can lean on him and like aggressively, <laughs> aggressively squeeze his upper body when I, when I need to. Um, so I get on the bed and, and she, she uses the Doppler again and she, and she checks for him and, you know, she's just kind of like doing what they do where it's like, you know, you're, you try one spot and that doesn't, quite work and so you move to another spot and that doesn't quite work and so you move a little more and then you start really like kind of digging and then it's like it's a little a little uncomfortable but in when you're in labor like there's <laughs> so many other things going on that's not even really really registering yeah and and then she starts to get like you know she's been doing this I want to say she's been trying to find his heartbeat for maybe you know 20 30 seconds like really not that long but you know, in the scheme of waiting to hear a heartbeat a pretty long time. Yeah. And so, you know, then she's like, okay, well, you know, I really am not getting his, his heart rate. You know, maybe he's just in a really funky position. Let's try, let's try moving you. So we, I move on to my side. Um, still not. So, you know, now she's like starting to visibly get concerned. Right. Mm-hmm. And she asks, um, you know, is it okay if I do an internal check. She said, you know, I can do this thing where I, I try to stimulate his scalp and, you know, see if that, if that, you know, changes anything, if that allow, you know, can, if we can hear his heartbeat. And so of course, you know, please, please do what you need to do. I know I was like continuing to have contractions during this time and, and was not really like very, I was definitely cognizant of what was happening, but I definitely was not sensing that it was an urgent situation or that anything I mean I just truly was like and not that I doubted the equipment they had at the birth center like in any quantity like any like categorical way but it just Mm -hmm. kind of felt like oh silly Doppler or like silly birth center with their you know 20 year old equipment or like you know like it just felt it just felt yeah like I'm sure it's just like, we'll just hear him in a second and it will all be fine. And so she did the internal check and maybe maybe used the Doppler one more time. I don't remember. And then that it was like in that moment, everything changed. And I just remember her like, like saying, like, we're leaving now. And and I didn't understand what that meant. Like, we just got here. Like, where where are we going? You know, mm-hmm. and. I don't know if Chase really got the urgency either, but she like yelled at him. She's like, go get the car. And he had had to park like, you know, it's Oakland and this isn't like a place with a dedicated parking lot. He had had to find street parking. You know, he had dropped my mom and I off and then went to find parking and come back. And so he had to like run and he talks about like, I mean, he didn't understand what was happening either, but he knows like if a midwife tells you to run, you run. And so he's running to get the car and, and, you know, he comes back and we're downstairs and my mom, I don't know what, you know, it'd be interesting to think or to hear what my mom was thinking during this time. Like she's been in so many birth situations and, and I think that, you know, she's, there have been like moments that have been scary, 
you know, so I think that she like had, I think she was also like kind of in, in denial that this was like really actually a problem. Like we're just doing our due diligence. That's what we're doing. And, and in my head, that's what I thought. I was like, like, we're just, we have to go because like, you know, just in case and, you know, just have, just to have what we need to have, you know, readily available in case he needs to be born quickly or whatever. Right. Right. And so we get in the car and I remember, I remember like as Chase opened the car door, I had a contraction and I'm still like, A, not really, I'm just like, I'm deep in labor land. So I'm not really fully understanding the urgency of the situation. Plus I'm like, I'm like in my lizard brain, like I'm having a contraction and I, and I stop, I can't get in the car. Like I'm, I'm not like, you don't just keep climbing into a car and put on your seat, putting on your seatbelt when you're having a contraction. I remember my midwife actually pushing me into the car. Like she's like, just, you know, like pushing me in and slamming the door behind me. And she just rode with us. And, and we just went to the hospital that was literally around the corner. I mean, it was maybe a two minute drive Mm -hmm. and we, you know, we pull up right at, you know, the, the, um, emergency room and, and, and I'm in triage and, and there was just this, like this sequence of events that I'll never forget it as like, it still feels like a different reality than what happened because at the birth center, we were just like, Oh, the equipment, the silly equipment, you know, like what's wrong with this equipment. And then we were in triage and they're, they're trying to do, they're trying to use um, a Doppler there. And it is like, they're not getting his heartbeat, but like they're making all these comments about like, oh, this silly thing isn't working. And so we're like, oh, it's just the equipment. Like, this is so ridiculous. And then, and then they're, um, they get an ultrasound machine, which is obviously like what we're really wanting. Like, let's, let's forget the fucking Dopplers, right? So they get this ultrasound machine and, Chase says, and I didn't see this, but Chase says that there was actually a sign on it, like taped onto it, just like with Sharpie that said doesn't work. And they were still trying to use this ultrasound machine on me and it wasn't working. And so eventually someone was like, oh, this machine doesn't work. Like we have to go get another machine from the fourth floor. And there was a nurse who literally said, but I don't want to go to the fourth floor. And so it was like this, it was like a comedy of errors. Like it just felt like, oh my God, this is insane. But like any moment now, we're just going to hear his heartbeat and we're going to punch all these people in the face and it's all going to be okay. Like everything's going to be okay. This is just, this is just like, you know, absolutely crazy that all of this is happening, but it's just all this equipment, like all this equipment is failing. And so the nurse who didn't want to go to the fourth floor, she apparently went to the fourth floor and she brought back the ultrasound machine. And in the meantime, (laughs) this is the other thing in the meantime, while, while we were waiting for that, they also wanted to do, um, attach an, uh, a fetal monitor internally to his scalp. And so to do that, they had to break my water. So they broke my water and attached that. And and that was also not working. Like it was, and ev- at every step, like no one would say like, oh, we can't hear, like it's, it's the heartbeat. Like we can't hear your son's heartbeat or like, you know, your son is not here. It was like, oh, this thing isn't working. And they, and they were saying that it wasn't just like us being like, assuming that it wasn't working it was like them saying that and so they finally got there with this ultrasound machine 
and you know she she started she started using it and you know it was instantly immediate and we're we're all looking at the screen we can all see yeah and we don't like don't need her to tell us you know but she she has to tell us and she says i'm sorry there's no heartbeat and it's it was just like i remember I remember like in my mind and I I think I wrote it maybe in these exact words but I remember in my mind like I could see that I was on the edge of this cliff and I was like I could go over that edge and I could not come back and like there was I would say like that the denial stage was over but there was still this sense of like but what can we do what can we do you know like how can we fix this and I remember even my midwife who obviously like she you know she knows what's happening and she knows the reality of the situation she was like you know like what if you know what if we try a c-section and, and just like hope you know hope that he's you know that we can you know we can get him out quickly and resuscitate him and and of course like that was crazy and not you know not going to be an option it wouldn't change the outcome. Yeah. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't change anything. But there was just still this like desperate, desperate sense of like, but, but like, what can we do? Like, how can we fix this? You know, how can we make yeah. this go away? It, so I had actually had during like from the time that she said there's no heartbeat to, you know, the the following few minutes where we were kind of like being bombarded with all these all these different. Not we weren't necessarily being bombarded with choices yet, but in in that time, like my contractions stopped, like my labor just completely died out, and you know that's when they did start talking to us about like what the next step looked like. And initially, we were just like C-section. I mean this this is this has to be this has to be over. You know, we yeah. can't we can't I can't keep doing this for. I can't keep doing this for a baby that's not alive, you know? And they were strongly encouraging both my midwife and the OB that was there and a couple of nurses, you know, were all like, you know, they were being really gentle about it, but they were all encouraging me like, you know, you don't need to add like a C-section recovery to this. Like you're already in labor, you know, you, it's, it is your choice, but, you know, we definitely strongly recommend that you continue to labor and, and try to deliver vaginally. And so it was kind of this like back and forth about what would happen because at that point my labor had stopped and they were very honest with me about the fact that delivering a stillborn baby is usually a lengthy process. Like you just have, you know, you have your body, which is shutting down you have mm-hmm. a baby that's like not working with you, you know, you have all these factors mm-hmm. that, that can really slow the process down. And so, you know, it was at that point, it looked pretty likely that I would need Pitocin to get my contractions going again. And all these things that weren't, you know, I would just like weren't part of what I had been thinking about for this day and on any level and certainly not the level that it was, that it was happening. Yeah, it's like all in the same breath of like your baby has no heartbeat. Yeah. Also, would you like to 
try to have this baby and here's all these things we might want to do and right you're in the hospital you're just so out of that space you were in before yeah I wouldn't say it was scary in the sense of like there I mean there was fear but it wasn't I wasn't afraid I was just so devastated I mean all of the things that we were talking about were all all came back to this like the 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 bottom line which is like but I don't have a baby like what like I don't have a baby and at some point and I don't remember exactly why but they I had to get up off of the bed that I oh it was was because they were moving me to a wheelchair to then like take me to an actual labor and delivery room so I stand up off of you know they helped me stand up off of this this bed and triage to move me over to the wheelchair and as I do that like blood just like runs like just runs down my leg and is pooling at my feet and and instantly my contractions kicked back in like as strong if not stronger than before and the and the interesting thing was that I had been obviously in that process you know they broke my water they had done the internal check all of that stuff they had obviously checked my dilation and I was only three centimeters which I remember being so just on top of everything else just feeling like that was the worst news I could get because it had taken me days to get from three centimeters to complete with Aiden like actual days and I just thought like I'm three centimeters like I was at home like couldn't talk through contractions like couldn't couldn't get in the car you know to get here and like I'm at three like what is like what does that even mean about what's to come and how long it's going to take you know which just Mm -hmm. felt like insanely daunting you know especially when they're telling me that you know it it takes extra long for stillborn babies and I'm just like I'm just in my head, like, how am I going to do this for five days? Like, I remember thinking, like, this is going to take five days. And and I don't know why <laughs> it was that specifically. But um, but my contractions kicked right back in. And they took me up to a labor and delivery room. And that was probably by the time we were all done in triage and they were moving me upstairs. That was probably about one one thirty, mm-hmm. And... There was not really any like we didn't there weren't really any more discussions about like how are we going to do this because my labor had totally kicked back in and there wasn't a need for any intervention. And we had also like kind of without without specifically saying it, we had also opted not to, you know, not to have the C-section or at least to try not to have the C-section. And so Mm -hmm. we're just in this room and we're laboring and it's like this is, you know, this is it. Like this is, we were, we were supposed to be at a birth center and there was supposed to be a tub, but instead we're in this like, you know, 10 by 10 room with all this medical equipment and there's, there's no tub. There's not even, you know, there's not even like, well, there was a window, but you know, it was, it was like a pretty, a pretty, um, undesirable little space to be in. And I think that when you're in that when you're in that place where you are giving birth in a setting that is not only so different than what you planned, but you're there only because something has gone wrong. Like you're only there because like the worst tragedy you can imagine is occurring. It just makes it feel like a hostile, hostile place. Like almost like that place is the cause. And it's, 
so not true. And I will say that the the doctor and the the nurses that were with me during my labor were incredible. And um, they also allowed my midwife to stay. And she had she was a, a certified nurse midwife who had, had actually used to work at that exact hospital. And so they knew her, even though she didn't have privileges there. They felt very comfortable with her with her being there and and taking a very very you know, driver's seat role in, in helping me with my delivery. And so, you know, the doctor was still there, you know, the nurses were still there, but they absolutely faded into the background and they were so, so generous in the space that they, that they allowed us to have and that bubble basically that they allowed us to create. And I remember like my, my nurse that was with me that night, I remember her saying nothing to me all night. And it's like, she just knew, like, she just knew I, I did not need anything from her except for like she did. I did not need her to try to like talk to me or comfort me or like be there for me in any emotional way. And in her knowing that and in her doing that, she actually was the most, the most emotionally supportive to me that she could possibly have been, which is, which is a really beautiful thing. And I remember, you know, the, the main interaction I had with her that night was that at one point I was, you know, I was kind of hyperventilating and and feeling like I couldn't breathe. And so she got me an oxygen mask. And I remember just being like, feeling this like immense gratitude towards her that like, you know, an oxygen mask is such a, such a, you know, normal thing, Um, (laughs) such a basic thing, you know, but I just felt like she had like traveled to Mars to get it for me, (laughs) you know? And yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that because of the way, because of her posture towards me and the way she understood that, like, like I only, we only know that each other exist because you are having the worst day of your life. And I'm going to give you all the space in the world for that. Like she got that. She really got that, you know? I just wanted to ask in this space of getting closer to delivery, like laboring, are you feeling, are you, experiencing any kind of grief or sadness in these moments or do you feel like labor was all you were getting to experience it was just like back and forth like I would get I would get like so lost in labor land and just be completely in the zone almost forgetting what was really happening and then I would like switch back over to to just like insane insane grief and feeling like what is this even for and like why am I doing this and I mean Mm -hmm. I would not I would not describe myself during that or even afterwards as suicidal but but that but that feeling of like is there any meaning is there any reason to continue like that is truly how I felt like why would you continue why would you even live like why would you why would you like keep living life like like it was yeah like it was normal and so I would go back and forth and as I you know went through transition I remember absolutely all all of my moments of I cannot do this I cannot do this and my midwife you can you are and you know those words like they they like I hear them in my head sometimes because man she like she really really truly got me through those hours and she held me in every way and she knew like this is she knew in some in some way what I couldn't even know yet which was that like this 
this is this is the story of my body like mm-hmm. knowing what it's doing <laughs> that I that yeah. I wanted so badly after my experience of birth with Aiden but I I wouldn't I couldn't see that yet and she knew that 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 that's what this story was in its in its own way and I was you know they didn't check me during those hours I didn't want to be checked and it was about just a few hours later you know when I was having the urge to push and they just said just just push and the the OB and my midwife just kind of they alternated coaching me. They alternated, you know, holding me up on the squat bar and helping me lay back, holding me up on the squat bar, helping me lay back. And I pushed for an hour and a half and he was born at 6.30. So from 1.30 when we went upstairs to that labor and delivery room, at which time I was three centimeters to five hours later at 6.30 when he was born, I can't even... I still can't even understand to this day how that happened because it shouldn't have happened, you know? And it felt, it felt like with my history and with what was happening and with everything else that, like I said, I I was like, this is going to take five days and I didn't know how I was going to get through that five days yet. I didn't know if I was going to be able to, I just like was bracing myself for that. And instead it was five hours and I can say that those were the hardest but the most powerful hours of my life. And I experienced the same thing that I experienced in my labor with Aiden, which was that pushing was like this, like transcendent experience where I felt like I was on top of the world. Like I felt like I owned the galaxy and everybody Mm -hmm. bowed down to me. Like I just, the power and the, and the just the instinct was so incredibly strong that that I it was just overpowering and mm-hmm. and so during those you know during that hour and a half I really truly was just just in the zone and 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 kind of forgetting about what was happening and then he was born and he and he came out and they they put him straight on my chest and I just remember thinking like where did he have to be? What, like, where else, where else does he have to be than here? And I it so just, wish you know, he was just, with us. <laughs> I so wish he was. I wish it more all the time. I mean, I've always wished it. There's never a day I don't wish it. But now that his little sister is here, it's like it really feels like for so many years we just had Aiden, and so this this dream that we'd had for all these years of of having more kids, so that you know they could have each other. It's like that wasn't realized yet. And so to some extent, we didn't fully understand what we were missing out on with Rowan being gone. You know, like we hadn't gotten to see Aiden with a sibling yet. We hadn't gotten to see like how it changed our family, how it expanded our love, how it, you know, really mag- or amplified the the experience of being a family. And now that she's here, it's like, oh, you belong here with us. Like you would have, you would have made this even better than it is and it is so good you know and watching Aiden with his baby sister and and realizing like what he could have had with a brother and that that's like been taken away from him it's just it just 
the feeling of loss actually just grows and grows and grows, even though like the the pain in a lot of ways is less. Um, it's a lot less like sharp or, um, you know, all consuming, but the feeling of what we're missing, it just grows and grows. And I, you know, for now I've labored with Melissa and Chase, I want to say too, and these moments, um, when Melissa's in labor, Chase is a wall that she leans on and depends on and that never moves. And, um, yeah. we'll share with you some photos and of that day. And Chase was definitely that for you in this labor too. And I would just kind of wonder yeah. if you wanted to say anything else about his process that day. Yeah, he was obviously just, I think he was in so many ways just like a deer caught in the headlights, you know? Yeah. Like, what is happening? What does this mean? All he could think about is like, how do I just help my wife get through what she has to get through right now? Um you know, he started writing about it immediately. Like he started taking notes. I don't, you know, I, I wasn't even aware he was doing it. Maybe it was between contractions. Maybe it was, you know, <laughs> when, when someone else was helping me during a contraction, but you know, he was making notes. And when we shared with everyone what had happened, you know, he actually had written, put, you know, kind of compiled all of those notes and written this post that, was kind of just his stream of consciousness of what was happening from the time we, but from the time the midwife said like, run, get the car to, you know, when he was born and those, those hours that we spent with him afterwards. And it's really beautiful to see his process because it was just like this shock for him. And he talks about how, you know, like, I don't know this person the way my wife does. Like, I haven't spent nine months growing him. I, I, I want him. I love him. But I don't know him. I don't have this sense of, like, who he is. I don't have this sense of his his imminence, you know, like, his, like, how he's going to change our lives the way she does. And, and so it was, he was so so present with me during that time and and in you know all the time following it um I remember him calling you know at some point in the night before he was born you know calling his mom and calling a couple of our close friends to say like this is what's happening you know Melissa's still in labor but but Rowan is gone and I remember just watching him do that like like it was this not that he felt it was a burden, but watching it as a burden, like watching it as this thing that suddenly a man in his life, like this is like a thing that someone gives him and says, and now this is part of you, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now this is something that you have to, to, to become and figure out and process and, you know, heal from and grow into and he and he took that on he did it he did it i remember i mean he started with calls and he shares a little bit about this and then started texting people because everyone was expecting to hear the baby was here and going from that announcement 
from calling someone who thinks they're hearing the baby's here to telling them the baby's right. gone was too much. It was just too much for yep. people. Yep, and too much. I woke up to I woke up in the middle of the night. I think it probably went before four thirty, and the text just said something terrible has happened, and I was obviously I was I knew I maybe yeah. it's because of what I do or. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I, my, I responded, I called and, you know, no one answered and I know why no one's answering. And I just remember waiting and waiting to hear because I had that same hope. Maybe it's not that, maybe, yeah. maybe Chase is just being dramatic. Maybe she had to have a C-section and that's the terrible right. thing. Or yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he's being resuscitated. He's going to be in the NICU. Like yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe they had to transfer. That's the only horrible. Maybe right. I didn't get to go to the birth center and I just kept creating those excuses for yep. what I knew was true um and I have experienced loss in my life in different times but this story is very hard for me because Rowan losing Rowan was very difficult for me too and yeah I know that, that, that I think that that is the story of people who are close to to women who lose babies but I think mm -hmm. I don't know and I think when I think about this time and kind of what you're saying about your midwife is the more time passes and the things I've seen you go through I do believe that Rowan's birth was made to change you and mm -hmm. as we said before I am so sad he's not here with us to see that um yeah but in some ways i'm thankful for that part of the story and the ways in which it, it kind of woke you up in different areas i think of your life and in your heart and mm -hmm. i think that's such a strange thing for grief to do i think people want grief to be this separate thing that they go through and then they've conquered it and then they feel those feelings like you're saying like well now i've i've gotten to the mountaintop i got over my you know i've gotten over this grief and you know, now I'm strong, but I think that as your friend, um, grief, this grief, grieving this boy has been what has made you stronger than I ever thought you could be. I, I feel that too. And I, I, I think the crazy thing is that I felt it right away. Like even in the darkest, darkest, darkest days, like I still knew that this was like was inviting me into something that I was meant to be invited into. And, you know, in the, in the immediate days and weeks afterwards, like it was just, you know, it's just that, that postpartum haze plus all of, you know, you know, they talk about the cycles of grief and you know, there's anger, there's denial, there's bargaining, there's all of those things. And I'm, I experienced that you don't go through like one stage and then like move, you know, package that stage up and move on to the next. And then like that one is your primary experience of grief for a while. And then you package that one up and move on. It's like, you just like, it's like a, such a fluid thing. You're just constantly moving back and forth between these. And sometimes you land on one for a while. And sometimes there's two that you just keep coming back to. And sometimes there is one that you're like, okay, we're done with, we're done with that one. But then like two years later, you might be angry again, you know? Yeah. And it's, 
it's just kind of unpredictable, which I think is similar to any postpartum period. Like it's unpredictable having a newborn and it's hormonal and it's all of those things, but it's like this entirely different level of of an experience that you just, you cannot, you cannot escape from, you cannot say no to. And I think that, you know, one of the things that you, you just said that was so huge to us during that time was that, you know, we had people like you and, and many other close friends who, who showed up for us in a way that like there isn't even a description for it. There isn't even a way that I can say like, this is, this is how you should show up for people. Like these five steps, it just, it wasn't even like that. You guys just had this ability to be with us in our pain in such a significant way. And the one part of that, that I would say does stand out and is describable is this piece of like, just actually wanting and missing him with us. And that's part of what's so isolating about loss is that like nobody else, it feels like nobody else wants that baby like you do because nobody else knew that baby like you did. No one else like loved that baby and carried that baby and grew that baby like you did. And it's impossible. It is impossible to share that extent of it with other people. But when people can show up and they don't just feel your pain, they don't just like want to it's it, you know it's great that people have have empathy for your pain but when they can see past your pain and they can actually see what you see which is that like there's a baby that's not here and I just want him that's really really powerful and we had so many people do that for us we had so many people that they just missed Rowan with us that's all they that's all they did that was different than the other people who didn't do that it was just that it was just like we just want him with you we want him to be here too. It's not It's not just about like, I'm sorry that you're in pain. It's about like, I'm also in pain because I want your son too. And that has been the most transformative part of my journey of grief and of, of healing. And to this day, like, you know, we have friends who on Rowan's birthday, like they don't send me a card and say like, I'm so sorry for your loss or like, I hope you're doing okay. They say, I miss Rowan. That's what they say. And that's what counts to me. And I'm and I don't mean that other things don't count or the other things haven't also been been, you know, valuable or 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 meaningful to us in our time of grief, because they certainly have. But the thing that has been the most significant and the most meaningful is the card that says, I miss Rowan too. Yeah. I think, you know, and this is something that other women have shared too is we also happened to have a friend who had a son within a few days of when Rowan was born. And something yeah. that I feel like has been an an active, healthy, I hope, like part of grief for me. And I've seen, you know, with Melissa too, is watching him grow up. And when he, like when we're all together playing with Aiden and seeing that dynamic in some ways can be painful and hard and you know, it makes me miss Rowan more because I think this is how old he would be. This is kind of what this would look like, you know, two yeah. brothers together, um, that same age difference. Um, but also I think that is also, that's common for women who've had lost to kind of, you almost have these, you know, I don't know the right 
there's no term that I know of where you just kind of have these kids that you track and you think like, yeah, that's that where my kid him. would be at. That would yeah. be him. And, and that is know, painful. Think- but for me, it's the good kind of pain because I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget that I should have a four and a half year old and that like him and Aiden would actually sort of be like playmates and that, you know, he would be out of diapers and that he would, you know, be starting like he would be in preschool and like kindergarten might be next year deciding, you know, we'd be deciding whether to like wait a year or not. Like, I don't want to forget that stuff. I don't want to to be removed from it. And I have a couple of friends who had little boys right at the same time as Rowan was born. And yes, it's painful, but it is the good kind of pain. And those people are still in my life in a very meaningful way for for that reason. Like I I am I do not want to hide from that pain. Well, as you guys kind of, you know, moved through that season in Oakland and then kind of started maybe I don't know if it's when you decided to come back to Portland or you know, I want yeah. to talk a little bit how you've continued to remember Rowan and then how you decided to continue to build your family. Yeah, we we came back to Portland just a few months after he was born and, and him, you know, losing him was definitely part of that decision and not the only factor, but it was part of it. And we, you know, we gave ourselves a couple months. We said, we're not going to make any big decisions. That was advice we got from, from people who had been through loss before they were like, don't like buy a car or go on a trip, like just, <laughs> just be for a bit. And so we waited a couple months, but we were already feeling it. We were already like, Oh, let's get out of here. And, and feeling like it wasn't like like the wrong urge, feeling like it wasn't just like, oh, it'll, you know, if we just change the scenery, everything will feel better. It felt like the right thing. And so we moved back to Portland and it really was the right thing. Like we are so glad that we came back and our community here in Portland just welcomed us right back in and have been just what we needed these last few years as we've healed and and progressed towards the decision to trying to have you know to have more kids and you know we we went back and forth for such a long time before deciding to have to try having another kid and we actually had we had gotten to the point where we were ready to get a vasectomy for Chase to get a vasectomy and it was like we hadn't we hadn't actually booked it yet, but we were very, very strongly considering it. And he came to me one day and this was like the kind of thing that I would say, not the kind of thing that he would say. So yeah. very it really stood out. He said to me, if we decide not to have more kids, because we were, you know, we were like we were kind of doing what people do where it's like we weren't really saying it was about Rowan. We were like, well, our lives are really busy and our careers are whatever. And like, you know, Aiden's so independent now and it would be hard to go back to having a baby. And we were kind of like pinning it on all these different things. And Chase came to me and he said, if we decide not to have another baby for the reasons that we're saying we don't want to have another baby, we will regret it. And he's like, maybe we can't. Maybe we do decide not to for another reason. But I know that if we decide for these reasons, we in 20 years, we will be like, who were we? What were we thinking? That's that's not who we are. And so I I resonated so strongly with what he said. It was clearly what I was already feeling that. I mean, we didn't even have to keep talking about it. it wasn't like we were like, okay, so what do we do now? We were like, okay, that's that 
that's that. That's the decision. And um, we still waited a while. We were in therapy at the time. We had been in therapy for a while and we felt like we um, needed to continue that journey. And so we stayed we stayed in therapy together and individually for another year before we started trying to get pregnant. And that was probably the best thing we ever did. Um, therapy in general, because we really needed it. And I think lots of people do. Um, but we definitely needed it. And not just because of Rowan, you know, there were so many other things that, you know, that, that we needed to work through. But doing that gave us put us in such a different place that when we started trying to get pregnant again the next year, we were just like so much more, so much more on the same page about a lot of things, definitely a lot more connected, a lot more, I think, prepared for what was to come, a lot more like equal buy-in, you know, all of that stuff. And so we, we did take the plunge a year or so later after that, after that point. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey since then too, in, including another loss. Um, but we had our, our rainbow baby, um, Etni, who is eight months old now. She was born in February and she was born on Valentine's day, which makes me cry just to think about it <laughs> because she is like, she is the epitomization of love. Like she just is, she is just love just like she love. loves she just she loves to be loved she loves to give love she she just loves to exist she just thinks that like being a human is really great and that her family is so awesome and that she belongs here and man she is so amazing she really really is yeah i can only agree I feel like everybody in your life has fallen in love with that little girl and she's easy to love (laughs) she's really really easy to love (laughs) yeah and we mentioned at the beginning of this episode that this episode is sponsored by Earth Mama Organics and it's actually sponsored by their specific Healing Hearts Baby Loss Comfort Line. And we reached out to Earth Mama specifically for this episode because after Rowan was born, I actually received from a number of different people each a whole bunch of different items from their baby loss comfort line and they have this incredibly beautiful curated selection of gifts and resources that are specific to mamas who have experienced loss and they have everything from a you know a tea that's for helping decrease your milk supply which is which is so critical for mamas who are in that immediate postpartum period they have some other sentimental gifts including a journal that you can use for remembering things about your baby they have candles they have this really soothing and comforting aromatherapy mist that that women just love and I personally received I think every single item in there in this product line and I love them all they were so comforting to me and I think that a really big part of what drew Earth Mama to making these is that as their business was growing and people started asking for them to to send postpartum recovery items, but they didn't want the words new baby on them because that's not where these mamas are at. They aren't they aren't sitting at home breastfeeding their new baby and they they need they need comfort and they need support too. And I think that so many people don't know what to do and they don't know what to bring and we're we're the kind of 
people that we want to bring something with us. We want to go visit that mama and we want to bring something with us to to show our support, to show our love. And this gives a really, really tangible resource and tool to be able to do that. People ask, what do I bring that's not about a baby? How do I bring something that doesn't say, oh, sorry, mom, like you're not like all the other moms. It's just such a sensitive time. And this line just gives so many opportunities to really meet those women where they're at. So we love Earth Mama. We love this Healing Hearts line for the Baby Loss Comfort products. And we think that they just meet such a need in in this world. And we want as many people as possible to know about these. So the next time you know someone that has experienced loss, you can provide that comfort and support in the best way possible. So we will share the resources and this line of products in our show notes. Or you can also go to motherbirth.co slash healing hearts where you'll be directed to the Healing Hearts webpage. Yeah, and I think we both also just wanted to say thank you for this month. And thank you um, as a whole Mother Birth audience for just opening yourself up to these mom stories and making space for them to share their children with you. And we look forward to doing more um, projects like this in the future. And kind of like Melissa was sharing, um, we'll be sharing in the show notes about that specific product line, but also we'll be sharing some of the writings that Chase and Lisa have done about Rowan. And one of the things that I have found very helpful is Chase actually talks about what to do for grieving parents um, and some ideas, some very practical ideas for y'all out there who are listening. But thanks again for listening today and helping us to celebrate and remember Rowan's birth. Yeah. Thanks for listening to me cry (laughs) for 40 minutes. So next week, we're going to actually be telling the rest of my story, including my 56-hour labor with my first son that also involved kidney stones. And if you've ever wondered about that age-old question, which is worse, labor or kidney stones, you'll have to listen to this episode to find out since I had them back-to-back. We'll also tell the story of my daughter's home birth just a few months ago in February. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss that episode and can hear the rest of my story. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. 